Well, it's good to be here at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning. Enjoy all that good singing. Glad to have those that are here, those watching online. And we're going to get right into the message, and we're still in our Gospel of John sermon series. This will be part number 14 of our Gospel of John series. And we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Uh, our main emphasis this morning, though, is going to be on verses 1 through 3. Uh, and we will cover some of these verses again in our next message. But this morning we're going to be looking at Nicodemus, this man that's mentioned here in the Gospel of John chapter 3, and uh, also something that Jesus tells him about being born again. And we're going to look at those things and see what that means, how that applies to us today. So John chapter 3, starting with verse 1, the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you for the reading of your word. I pray now that you help us as we try to expound upon this text, Lord, that you'll be glorified. Help us in this. And God, if there's one listening today that doesn't know you, Lord, as, as their Savior, I pray today will be the day that uh, the Holy Spirit will convict their heart and show them the need to be saved before it's too late. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, chapter 3 of the Gospel of John is perhaps one of the most um, well-known chapters in all the Bible, and it's it's instrumental in, in the knowledge of what it means about being saved. Uh, it's one of the most widely uh, used passages uh, to teach from on the new birth, and uh, we're going to look at that and what that means, but uh, verse 16, of course, being probably the most, if you want to use the word famous, most well-known verse in all the Bible, which we're not getting to today, but uh, maybe next time we get into this. Uh, a couple of Sundays from now. We're going to be at Northside next Sunday, so we won't be uh, here at Porchlight, but uh, in our next message, we'll look at that verse perhaps. But here we find in this first verse of John chapter 3, this man we're introduced to, and the first thing it says is he is a Pharisee. All right. Now, there are were four different Jewish sects or groups, if you want to call them that, um, in the Jewish, uh, in Judaism. There was four main groups. Two of them were more than the others. Of course, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees being the most well-known. And then you had the Essenes and the Zealots. They were two other groups, uh, lesser well-known groups. All these religious groups were uh, of Jews. 
But each one had different beliefs and and what they thought was occurring in in God's kingdom and different beliefs, uh, of course. The Pharisees were more closely aligned to what, actually what we believe today, only they had added a lot of things to that. But it says there was a man of the Pharisee. That word Pharisee means, the actual uh, meaning of it is to separate. Now, we know these uh, Pharisees were very different than your normal, average, everyday Jew. They were very strict. Uh, they separated themselves, hence the name. They separated themselves from, supposedly, the world, uh, at least on the outside, the only way people could see them. Uh, but they separated themselves uh, to be these holy, righteous um, people that uh, were teachers of the Jews. Now, the, the Pharisees was the main, probably more of these. There were around 6,000, according to Josephus, the historian. He says there was around 6,000 during the days of Jesus. And uh, these Pharisees had a, a lot of influence on Jewish society. They were the ones, you know, that made sure everybody kept up with the, all the laws. And not only the Mosaic laws, but the oral law that they claimed had been handed down, that God had given orally on Mount Sinai and uh, wasn't written down in the, in the books of Moses, the Torah. And so they emphasized on the Torah, but even more so on their own oral laws or traditions. And they spent a lot of times, they wrote hundreds, literally hundreds of laws on top of God's written law that he gave Moses. And they strictly enforced these laws. And they claimed to keep them themselves, but we all know how those Pharisees were. You know, uh, the Lord had a lot to say about, about those guys. But the Pharisees, we know, were very concerned about their outward appearances. They loved to be seen by men. They loved to wear their long flowing uh, robes uh, with the broadened uh, borders to show how holy they were and the phylacteries and they had uh, mounted on their head and they all these things. And they would stand in the corners in the streets so that everybody could see them and pray out loud. And uh, that's the kind of men these were. And that's the kind of man that Nicodemus was. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to know that such a man like this seems very different than the average Pharisee. He's very different. Uh, the Pharisees, we know from reading our Bible, they hated Jesus. The majority of them did. Of course, here we find one that did not hate Jesus. But the, the other men that he grouped up with and was known with, they hated Jesus. They spent every waking moment from the time Jesus began his earthly ministry, started preaching publicly and performing miracles and signs and wonders. These Pharisees came out, buddy, in full force against him. They were looking for anything that he said wrong, anything he did wrong, any excuse to try to persecute him, prosecute him, uh, kill him. We know that's their ultimate goal, and that's finally what they achieved. But they hated Jesus. And, and But here we have an exception to that, Nicodemus. The Bible says he was named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, to be a Pharisee, he had to be a Jew, but his name is a Greek name. His name, uh, it means victor over the people. That first part of Nick is the same word we get Nike from, which means victory. And so victor over the people is what his Greek name means, and that's what he's known by here in the Bible. Now, he's mentioned three on three different occasions in our New Testament, and all three of these times is in the Gospel of John. The other, the synoptics, do not mention uh, Nicodemus. 
John, we know, was written probably the last book that was written in the Bible, probably around uh, 90 A.D., maybe 95. Is either Revelation or John, one of the two, was the last book written in the Bible. But John was the last gospel written. And so that's one reason a lot of the things that John tells us it has more detail and has different information. It wasn't necessarily written just for those Jews in that time period. This was after 50 years after Jesus had already been put to death and, and buried and rose again. So 50 years later, here we have even more than that. Uh, years later, the Gospel of John's written. And so uh, this man named Nicodemus is only mentioned in John here in chapter 3 where he comes to Jesus in the night. And by the way, all three times he's mentioned in the Gospels, it always says the one that came to Jesus in the night. Uh, so that we know that's exactly who they're talking about. So there's no other Nicodemus that we have to keep up with. Uh, John 7 and 50, we find Nicodemus mentioned where he comes to the defense of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been teaching and, and some of the Pharisees are there and a lot of other people and they start getting all confused and, and they're wanting to accuse him of something. They're wanting to arrest him at that point. And Nicodemus actually speaks out and he says, hey, wait a minute, we, this is not the way we operate, you know. And they got mad at him. You know, what are you? You a Galilean too? You know, there's nothing good comes out of Galilee. This can't be the Messiah because people were saying this is the Christ. And that upset all these Pharisees. But Nicodemus stood up and said, hold on now. Yeah. And then we see mentioned again in John 19, 39, after Jesus has been taken down off the cross and Joseph of Arimathea is preparing his body to put him in that tomb. And here along comes Nicodemus to help prepare the body, anoints his body. And so we find that we believe Nicodemus did become a believer in Christ, uh, a follower, a, uh, a saved man from all indications in the Bible. And so this man, Nicodemus, the Bible goes on to say he is a ruler of the Jews, a ruler of the Jews. So not only is he a Pharisee, but he's also one of the rulers of the Jews. Now what this most likely means that he's one of the 70 men that sits on the Sanhedrin council. That's the Jewish council that's made up of 70 men plus the high priest, 71. Uh, that's a model after what Moses uh, set up back in his day. But uh, these men, they made up the, you would call it the Supreme Court of the Jews. You know, we have different court systems. We have the, the local court, the state court, and then you've got the, the, uh, the high courts, and you've got the, the, the Supreme Court. This is what this, these guys are, the Supreme Court that rule over Jewish laws. Now, they don't have rule over Roman law. Romans were still, their law was set, set in stone, and they had to follow the Roman laws. And by the way, the Pharisees, out of all these people, hated the Romans. They hated them. Uh, but the, uh, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin council, they uh, presided over anything that any of the Jews had to any matters that came up, uh, religious matters, you know, how they lived and in the laws and all this stuff. And so you won't find that word Sanhedrin in your Bible because it's not in there. But uh, the word Sanhedrin means an assembly is what that means, or a council, a council. And so we, uh, it's referred to as Sanhedrin. And uh, they were comprised of Sadducees and Pharisees and a lot of very prominent Jews. You, you had to be somebody to be on the Sanhedrin court. They didn't just let anybody on. A lot of them uh, got in because of their, their lineage. 
they got in, but they were very, most of them were wealthy. They had a lot of influence, and that's what they wanted, people with a lot of influence on that council. They had doctors, wise men, priests, Levites were on that council, and elders. Uh, Nicodemus is one of these men. So he has some uh, prestige there in, in the, the Jewish culture. A lot of people look up to him. He's a very important man. And so uh, verse 2, it says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Okay, so if you remember uh, last time we were uh, in the Gospel of John, we looked at chapter 2, uh, verses 23 through 25. And we saw that uh, Jesus, uh, he was in Jerusalem during the Passover, and it was the feast day time, and the Bible says many believed in his name. I want to read this to you, John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. When they saw the miracles which he did. Make sure you pay attention to that. Verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men. And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Okay, so here we find, just previous to Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the night, this event happened. Many believed on his name because of the miracles. And notice, as we talked about last time, Jesus didn't commit himself to these people because the Bible says he knows all men. He knows their hearts. He knows their thoughts. He knows who genuinely believes and who does not, who's just following along with the crowd, you know, whoever got caught up in the moment. And so he didn't commit himself to it. In other words, he didn't, you know, claim them to be saved because in all indications they were not. Many of them were just following along. A lot of people do that today. A lot of people today follow along with the crowd and they go up and make some kind of profession. They're never truly saved. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll go all their life believing they got saved because some man told them they were. Um, we are not told there in, in the Gospel of John which miracles Jesus performed while he was in Jerusalem. It could have been any manner of miracles. Now, Nicodemus uh, believes because of these miracles. He apparently was one of these in the crowd that witnessed the miracles that Jesus was performing. The only miracle so far that the Gospel of John has told us about is Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Canaan. I don't believe Nicodemus was there. And I don't believe he would have attributed that necessarily to God sending him to turn water into wine. I don't think so. So I think it was more of some type of miracle maybe of healing or raising the dead, or opening blind eyes, or whatever it was. It was something that was so miraculous that he attributed this to, it had to be God. That's what he said there. The, no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, you remember back in the days of Moses that uh, uh, Pharaoh's men were able to replicate the miracles that Moses performed there when he turned his, uh, his cane into a snake and and all those different things that, that God allowed him to do, well, they were able to replicate that, those men uh, of Pharaoh's. And then we know that uh, Paul tells us uh, about uh, uh, Satan deceiving and performing uh, miracles and things like that. And the book of Revelation tells us about that, that uh, the beast will come and he will deceive many because of the signs, wonders, and miracles. And so, you know, it isn't necessarily has to be from God to have some kind of great miracle. 
uh, these things can appear to be uh, great miracles and not necessarily of God. But Nicodemus attributes what Jesus has done to God. Um, so he comes to Jesus. He wants to pay him a visit to learn more. He wants to know more about what's going on. And he has a, a burning question in his heart that he doesn't come out and ask Jesus about, but it's there, and that's why he's there. It's what's led him to come there and seek him. It says, the same came to Jesus by night. All right, so everybody wants to get all wrapped up into that, that little phrase right there. He came to him by night. Why did he come to him in the night? You know, we all want to know. He was sneaking around. You know, he didn't want anybody to see him. He done this and all that. Well, look, I understand that. There's a lot of, you know, I've heard complete messages on why he came in the night. Um, it could have been for a few reasons. Maybe because Jesus was not out publicly ministering with people. And he, he knew he wouldn't be bothering him and, you know, taking up his time while he's trying to help people. And so maybe that's why he waited till Jesus had retired for the day and came in and uh, wanted to come to him at that time. Perhaps it was because he didn't want anybody to see him. He is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. You know, if, if, if he's seen going and communing with Jesus, people might, you know, start wagging their tongues. It might cause some kind of problem with him, with his Sanhedrin council. They, you know, because many of them were against Jesus. And so, you know, we don't know exactly why. Uh, some believe this to be a, a type of a lost sinner coming to Christ in the dark, because a lost sinner is in the dark, and he's seeking for the light, and he comes to him. I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with it. I love studying typology, and you could say that could possibly be that. It, it does symbolize that, but let's not read more into it than what God's Word says, <laughs> because then we're just, you know, we're not supposed to add to God's Word, so you can have your thoughts and opinions and ideas, but when it all boils down, you need to say, this is what the Bible says. And the Bible says he came to him by night. It doesn't tell us anything else of why he did that. So he comes to him by night and said unto him, Rabbi. He calls him Rabbi. Now, a rabbi is the word the Pharisees used to show respect to great teachers or masters. In fact, Nicodemus himself was probably called Rabbi whenever he was out on the street and people walked by, Rabbi, <laughs> Rabbi. Uh, so this is a, a show of respect he sees Jesus is a great teacher. Obviously, he's been listening to him as Jesus goes around teaching in, in, in the public, and he's been in the synagogues, he's been in the temple teaching, and so he's listened to him, and he recognizes him as a great teacher, a rabbi. He's sincere in this greeting with Jesus, I believe. You know, a lot of times in the Bible, we see when the Pharisees question Jesus, they do it, they're kind of being vindictive about it. They're being, you know, smart about it. You know, and I could see this. You know, we could we could read it like this and say, uh, uh, "Oh, well, you know, no man can do these miracles except for God sent him." But I don't believe that. I believe he's showing respect. He says of him, "Rabbi," genuinely wants to see. He sees Jesus as a great teacher, and there he says it. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Now, did you pay attention to what that said? We. He said we. He didn't say I. He said, we know. So in other words, there's others of his kind that also believe Jesus is a great teacher sent by God. Uh, no doubt the Pharisees, we know, were keeping a close eye on him. And they've been listening, witnessing these things he's doing. While most were jealous of him and wanted to kill him, there were some that were receiving the message. Some, their hearts were getting penetrated. They were getting convicted. 
And they were seeing there is something different about this man. And uh, so Nicodemus is one of those. He recognizes something in Jesus, and he believes that Jesus is certainly sent by God. And he goes on to say, For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So it's obvious Nicodemus believes Jesus is sent by God. And uh, the Bible tells us the Jews require a, a sign. They were always looking for a sign. That's what they were looking for in chapter 2. We studied there when Jesus went to the temple and drove out the money changers, turned over the tables, and, and, and all that. The Bible says, uh, after he did that, John 2 and 18, Then answered the Jews and said to him, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? They were always looking for a sign. You know, God will send us a sign. What's a sign that you have, you know, you have authority to do this? And so the Jews always had in the back of their mind. They're 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 never trusting. They're never wanting to accept. They're always kind of leery of anybody. And so they look for a solid sign. Okay, call down fire from heaven if it's true. You know, if you're a teacher from God, do this. You know, turn turn that rock into a piece of bread. You know, they're looking for something. Uh, Paul had to deal with that mindset even thirty years after all this. In First Corinthians one twenty two through twenty four, he writes, "For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God." And the wisdom of God. So, Paul had to deal with that. These Jews always looking for a sign. Oh, really, Paul? Well, if you're sent by God, you're truly an apostle. Show us a sign. And we know Paul performed some miracles. The Holy Spirit allowed Paul to do that. However, it wasn't to go around proving he was who he was. You know, it wasn't one of those cases, you know, okay, you have to prove to me that you can heal people by healing that dead man over there, you know, or something. Uh, so that's the way the Jews were, always looking for some kind of sign. But the truth is, seeing miracles and gaining wisdom, like the Jews look for a sign, they want a miracle, and uh, what it say, the Greeks, they were, they were looking for wisdom. They're always trying to have more uh, smarts. They want more information. They want to know more than everybody else. And that's what they're after. But the truth is, salvation is not in any of that. You can be the dumbest man or the dumbest woman on the face of the earth and still be saved. You don't have to see a miracle and you don't have to uh, have any wisdom about you. And by the way, you can be a preacher and be both those things too, dumber, dumber than a rock. So uh, Nicodemus at this point, the, his connection with Jesus is all physical. What he's seen him do. There's no spiritual about it. There's nothing spiritual about what Nicodemus has toward Jesus. In chapter 2 we read that Jesus didn't commit himself to those that said they believed in his name because of the miracles. And that's because he knew what was in man. He knows what's in Nicodemus. He knows Nicodemus comes to him. He knows what's on his heart and his mind. Even though he's not asking him, he's came to him. And Jesus knows everything about him. And so he's not committing to him either at this point. But we're going to see that he's going to teach him something. He's going to teach him the reality about what true faith means, what it really means. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Hold it. 
Did Nicodemus ask him? No, it doesn't say anything about that. Did John just leave that part out? I doubt it. He didn't ask him anything, but Jesus answered him, the Bible says. How did he know what he had on his heart? Because what? Jesus knows all men. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. He knows everything about us. And he knows the reason this man is coming to him in the middle of the night is because he has a burning question on his mind. How can he be saved? How can he know that he's going to go to heaven? How? And so, you know, everyone today, you don't hear much teaching or preaching on this new birth, the new birth. How many times have you been to church and heard a preacher mention the new birth? Very rarely today do you hear that. There's a few that preach it. Uh, Charles Lawson, he preaches the new birth a lot. But very seldom do you ever hear any messages on the new birth and what it means about being born again. A lot of times they, people throw around that phrase, you know, uh, have you been born again? You know, But they don't really teach much on it and what it actually means. Well, this section of scripture is the greatest in all the Bible concerning the new birth. And the new birth is necessary. If you're saved today, you must have the new birth. Nicodemus did not have it. You cannot be saved separately from the new birth. Now, Jesus answered and said to him, notice Nicodemus hadn't asked him anything yet, but Jesus answered him. And uh, so he wants to know how he can see the kingdom of God. That's his question. And that's what most of the Jews were always asking. How can I know that I can see you know, the kingdom of God? In other words, how am I going to know I'm saved and entering heaven? How am I going to live my, the, my eternity uh, with Christ? How can I know that without a doubt? Now, he's a ruler of the Jews. That means he teaches other people about the Bible. He's the one that should have all the answers. He's followed all the laws. He's followed all the rules, all the rituals. He's wore all the right clothes. He speaks the right language. He prays the prayers. He's taught other people how to do the same thing. Yet he don't know if he has any assurance of being saved. Doesn't, doesn't have an idea. It's not much different than men and women today. A lot of people today are going around without assurance on their salvation. A lot of these been raised in church. Went to church every time. You know, they were what they call drug kids. They got drugged to church every time the door was open. I was one of those. Uh, but... People have been raised in church, wore the right clothes, wore the suit, wore a tie, wore uh, uh, everything they needed, carried the King James Bible, sung all the, the right hymns out of the, the red back church hymnal. They've been in it. They've even some taught Sunday school, taught vacation Bible school. Some maybe even went on to be a preacher. But just like Nicodemus, they have no assurance of their salvation. They can't be sure. They don't know without a doubt whether or not they're going to be saved and go to heaven. And they question it. I understand a lot of people have doubts. A lot of times, I mean, this is, it's all faith-based. You know, it's by faith we're saved. And so uh, that's one reason a lot of people want to have something they've got to do to be saved. We're going to talk about that more in just a little bit. But it's not much different than it is today. And like Nicodemus, he's frantic about where he's going to spend eternal life. And he wants to see heaven, and so do we. Everybody else wants to see heaven. So Jesus answers these questions that's on his mind. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he starts out this, this uh, sentence by with verily, verily. That word verily, it means in truth, in fact, and with certainty. 
and he says it twice. Uh, so these things Jesus is telling him is matter of fact, it's the truth, and it's with certainty that what he's saying is the truth. And uh, it's entirely different than what Nicodemus has been taught by the Pharisees. He's never heard anything like this before in his life. A Pharisee has never, ever uttered those words, you must be born again. That's, that's the furthest thing from their mind, and it's obvious uh, as we continue through this that uh, so the last thing that was on Nicodemus's mind. Uh, these uh, Jews, these Pharisees, it goes against the oral law. It goes against the, the Torah. It goes against the rules. It goes against everything that he's done, his prayers that he praised, and none of that stuff saved him. None of that stuff. The truth is Nicodemus has to be born again if he wants to see the kingdom of God. And that really, really knocks him for a loop. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Now again, remember, the Pharisees usually had some kind of smart aleck thing to say. I don't believe that's what this is. You know, I could see others that didn't believe in Jesus saying, Can a man be born again when he's old? You know, can he... Go a second time in his mother's womb. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't think that's what this is implying. I believe Nicodemus is honestly asking him. He's puzzled. He, he don't have a clue. I mean, he's, he's out there in the cold. He's like, you know, I don't know. So the problem is Nicodemus, everything about him is physical. He's got to see it. He's got to touch it. He's got to smell it. He wants to see it with his own eyes. Spiritual things are nowhere in his mind at all. He's not got a clue about spiritual things. And so it's all external for him and not internal. Many people today are not saved because they're looking for something physical. The Bible tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's not something we're going to see. You know, people's looking for some kind of, they're like, we're like the Jews today. A lot of Baptists are like Jews. They want to see a sign. You know, oh, I want to get saved and, and hear fireworks go off and bells ring and birds sing and all this stuff. And I've heard a lot of that silliness uh, going on. Um, many today, they're looking for a physical, external thing to enforce their so-called belief. Uh, that's why so many people today in a lot of church groups, the Church of God being one of them, believe that uh, they got to do these works to, to continue to be saved and that they can lose their salvation. Look, <laughs> the Bible is, is clear. It's not by works that we're saved. But a lot of people, even there's some Baptists today that, that believe in works. Now, you will work once you're saved. You'll, you'll work for the Lord. You'll do things. But you don't work to get saved or to stay saved. But people want that. Many today believe you've got to be baptized to be saved. It's not in the Bible. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You get saved because the Lord saves you. By faith you're saved, not by faith and baptism. It's by grace through faith. And so uh, people are always looking for this. So if I can go down and get dunked, you know, well, that means I'm saved. I've talked to a lot of people about uh, salvation, and the first thing they want to tell me comes out of their mouth is they got baptized at such and such time. I didn't ask you when you got baptized. 
I want to know about your salvation. When did you get saved? Well, I got baptized. Really? Does that save you? Not at all. And so salvation is not in any of those things. Uh, salvation is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Spiritual. Um, the only physical aspect involved in salvation is when the Lord Jesus laid down his life on a cross and allowed them to nail his hands and feet. That was the physical part of salvation. It had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with me. In fact, we have no part in our salvation. Our salvation, even our faith in Christ, comes from him. He's the one that gives us the faith in him. So without Christ, we're nothing but dead men. Dead. And so it's all him. Salvation's all him. You're born again through Jesus Christ. The new birth is only through Jesus. And just like a baby being born physically, that baby, what did the baby do to be born? What did he do? He went like this. Did he do anything to birth himself? Not a thing. He's not the one that, that created himself. That was his mother and father. He came from seed. He had nothing to do with his birth. A baby didn't swim his way out. You know? So what Jesus is doing here, he's comparing a physical birth of a baby that has absolutely nothing to do with his being born to a Christian who has absolutely nothing to do with his being born again. It's all through him. We've got nothing to do with it. And so I want to read here the next uh, six verses. Uh, we're not going to go deeply into those this morning. We're, we're running out of time, but we'll get into it the next time. Uh, but we'll say a few things about these and expound upon them again. But look at verse 5 through 10. It goes on to say, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, there's those words again, you know, truth and fact with certainty. I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, we'll talk about this when we get to it again, but don't let that word water confuse you into thinking, well, right there's baptism. There's some people today say, right there, you got to be baptized right there and, and through the Spirit to be saved. No, that's not what that means. A uh, man must be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Did you see that? Again, there's the two births mentioned. Those that are born by flesh is flesh, and the physical birth. But those that are born of the Spirit is of spirit, is spirit, the Bible says. So the natural birth and the new birth are two different things. One's physical, the other is spiritual. Verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. The other, uh, This past week we were down in North Carolina visiting my mother, and the wind was very, very high. And we were sitting in her room there where she's at, and we could hear the wind. It sounded like a almost like a freight train. You could hear this. I couldn't tell you where it was coming from. I couldn't tell you where it's going. Just like the wind, we don't know. Sure, it's there. I understand that, but I can't see wind. 
I can see if a tree blows or something, but I can't see the wind. I don't know where it's coming from, and I don't know where it's going to go. Well, Jesus is comparing the same thing here. It, uh, verse uh, 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth, so it is, so is everyone is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? All right. Now, as we just read there three times in Jesus' answer back to Nicodemus, he emphasizes the Spirit with a capital S. King James, capital S. I don't know what it is in those phony books, but in our King James Bible, the Spirit has a capital S. Three times, verse 5, born of water and of the Spirit. Verse 6, born of the Spirit. Verse 8, born of the Spirit. So how is the new birth accomplished? Of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. So no, Nicodemus, you're not going to crawl back into your mother's womb and be born again. No. I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual one. Nicodemus still don't get it. He asks, he asks how can these things be? Uh, Jesus rebukes him. You see that? He, he gives him a rebuke. He says, now hold on a minute. You're a master of Israel and you don't know this? You mean to tell me you went through rabbi school, you you sat probably like Paul did at the feet of Gamaliel and you learned all these things. You're going around teaching other people about what it means to enter the kingdom of God and you don't know. Uh, maybe I'm being a little harsh about that, but it, I don't think so. I mean, Jesus asked, are, "Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest uh, and knowest not these things?" Come on, if anybody should know, it should be you. Now, may I say to you today, there's many so-called masters and teachers uh, who only understand physical things. They don't understand the spiritual. They're not spiritually discerned because most of them are not saved. They don't have genuine faith in Christ. They may have book knowledge. They may have some kind of head knowledge, but they don't have the heart knowledge. They don't have the Spirit of God upon them. They have faith in their talent. They have faith in their abilities, their, their speaking, their education, but they don't have faith in Christ. The truth is, if you expect to have eternal life and see heaven when you die, ye must be born again. You are born again through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Jesus keeps saying it. You've got to be born of the Spirit, not a physical birth, a spiritual birth. There must be a spiritual rebirth inside of you. Now look, when we get saved, we still have that old sin nature in us. That's the old man. But when we get saved, there is a new creature within us. And that creature is the one that does not sin. That is the one that is saved. That is the one that we don't have to be concerned about. It's this old nature, this old flesh, this old man that always tries to drag us down, that rages war against the new man, and there's always a battle. You know, like Paul said, you know, those things I, I want to do, I don't do, and those things I don't want to do, that's what I do, and all that. And uh, that's, that's the way we we're made up. But that new birth, uh, for, through that new birth, we have a new creature. Our spirit is new. And our spirit, one day, we were, our soul and our spirit will go on to heaven uh, because we've been saved. We've had a new birth. And of course, it all begins with faith in Christ. The Lord is the one that provides the faith for us. He's the one that instills that 
that draw, except the Father draw him, no man can cometh unto him, unto him. So he draws us. It's his doing. You know, a lot of people say, he's up there teaching Calvinism. No, I'm not. The Bible is very clear. It's only through the Father. He draws us. That's where it starts. Dead men can't get up and do things on their own. It requires an, an external source, and that external source is God. He's the one that motivates us for this faith, to believe in him. He's the one that draws our hearts toward him. I believe that's what's happened with Nicodemus. He's drawing him to him. Nicodemus don't quite get it yet. And so that's why Jesus is teaching him about this new birth. And he's, he's going to get it. He's going to get it. Uh, and just like people today, they need, to, they need to study. They need to dwell upon God's word because it tells you how to be saved. And it's not through your works, not through your baptism. It's not through your church attendance. It's through faith in Christ and the new birth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today thanking you so much for the message. Lord, I pray it's been helpful for those that's been listening. And God, we just pray that if any glory is received from this, it's all for you, Lord. It's lifting you up. Lord, help us here at Porch Light Baptist Church. God, may we always glorify and exemplify you and are in your will and in your word at all times. Help us, Father, for these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. All right, now don't forget, next Sunday we will be at Northside Baptist Church and their services, uh, we're going to be preaching, uh, it starts at 1045 in the morning, 6 o'clock in the evening, and that's out off of Central Avenue, downtown Knoxville, right across from the big uh, uh, cemetery up there uh, on, uh, was it Bernard, is that the, the road name it's on? Uh, always have a good time there, and so you all come out for that, and we'll just uh, worship there next Sunday. And then Lord will be back here on the next. And Easter's coming up not too long. What was it? About three weeks or so. Something like that. And so I'm looking forward to that. And are all hearts and minds clear this morning? All right. Good Lord willing the creek don't rise. We'll see you next time.